The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Honorable Fathers of Rome, what have you done? What have you become? You are the Senate of the people of Rome, the voice, the conscience of the Empire. Stand up! Rid yourself of this man who has imperiled the life of the Empire. The Northern Army is at the gates of Rome. The army will support you. Traitor! 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 Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, January 14th, 2021. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Insurrection in D.C., screams the headline on the front page of the January 7th edition of the London Free Press, while the subhead reads, In what may be one of the darkest days in U.S. history, Donald Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol Wednesday during a protest demanding his election loss be overturned. End quote. Well, really? Was it really one of the darkest days in U.S. history? That's one of the many questions we'll be addressing regarding U.S. electoral events over the past several days, right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right social media links and our archived broadcasts. And as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. So, Robert, one of the darkest days in U.S. history? <laughs> yeah, that's for a person perhaps who hasn't read any history of the United States whatsoever, might say that, an ignorant person or a person trying to push an agenda. Mm. Um, dark day in American history? Uh, no, I think uh, perhaps the exact opposite. Um, I think if you go back and look at the Capitol building and what has transpired there in history, you'll find a number of instances where people have so-called stormed it, actually blown it up. I just reminded today of one instance by Susan Rosenberg, who was part of the uh, May 19th communist organization, who actually uh, blew up a bomb in the Capitol building with the intent to kill as many Republican congressmen that she could. And um, she was sentenced to 58 years in prison. And get this, pardoned by Bill Clinton on the last day of his term in office. So um, memories are short politically. Memories are short when they consider um, all those black congressmen sitting on the floor as a sit-in and by, you know, uh, pushing for what? Changes in laws and and that these are the lawmakers. People forget that um, Antifa have taken over the building before. Um, feminists have. Um, uh, think of the occupation of, uh, what is it, Senator Grassley's office, or was a congressman, I forget now. Uh, this has happened so many times in American history, uh, much more violently uh, than what happened 
on Wednesday. And when they call it storming, let's take apart that headline. Let's, let's take it apart. <laughs> storming. Sure. We were now looking at all of the videos that had come out. And no, it wasn't a storm. It was more like a sachet or maybe a saunter in the door, which were opened by the Capitol Police who stood aside. Um, you look at the barricades outside the Capitol building where the uh, police just turned around and walked away as people walked, you know, pushed the barriers out of the way and then walked to the Capitol building. No storming. This kind of um, language is inflammatory. And Trump supporters, we now know that the instigators were Antifa and Black Lives Matter organizers, basically communist, an organization supported by the Democrats and probably... Uh, led on by Nancy Pelosi, because Nancy Pelosi, remember, is in charge of the Capitol Police. So when the police step aside, when the police open the door, and uh, actually one policeman was waving protesters toward to come towards the Capitol, remember, they're under Nancy Pelosi's control. And uh, a number of the people, you saw pictures of the people there, a number of them were um, positively identified as Antifa. So... Trump supporters, you know, no, a lot of supporters of Trump went inside the building, yes. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the video, a lot of the Trump supporters actually tried to stop the um, so-called storming of the building when um, some Antifa people were trying to smash the window there over the door, by the, by the side of the door. It was Trump supporters saying, no, stop it, this isn't, what, this isn't us, right? Well, you know and they were shouting out that they were Antifa. I still have a question about this because I recall the first news story I heard about the, quote, storming of the U.S. legislature there was while I was driving in my car and listening to a female reporter on CTV News, which was carried via CJBK radio here in London, and it was taking place at the time the event was still happening, and I had not seen anything yet for myself. And within the time frame required to hear about 10 words, I already knew that the story was BS. It didn't make any sense. And the questions I had at that very moment, I still have as of this conversation. Now, they're, they're mere trivia, given the big picture. But the way I heard it reported at then, and a couple times since, is that the Trump supporters, quote-unquote, stormed the legislature before Pence had a chance to go over that electoral votes process. Is that true? Or, or Yes. Oh, well, yes. Okay. As a matter of fact, I, I remember thinking as um, I was watching it that, like, why are, why are they doing this? The votes haven't even been, you, you haven't even given Pence a chance. And now, of course, we know that it was Antifa and not uh, Trump supporters instigating well, the whole thing. that's the only thing that would make it make sense. But the CTV reporter was stunning. Right away, the bias was incredible. She starts talking about... Why aren't they coming? Why aren't the police coming and arresting all these people? Because they did it to BLM and to Antifa and all those other groups. I'm going, oh my God, the narrative is exactly the opposite of reality again. Yes. You know, even as the event is still alive. Methinks they doth all protest too much, you know, because I'm including the right-wing pundits as well. I think they're all making too much of a big deal about this event. When in my mind, as a, as a riot or insurrection, it was a non-starter. But they're all banging down on those evil handful of maybe 10 to 12 people that might be from the Trump crowd, right? And condemning it loudly and making it sound like that whole crowd of ha half a million to a million to two million, I've heard huge numbers, is all therefore guilty because of this handful of people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yes, 
Yeah, and I agree totally. The um, well, of course, we've we've talked about the media bias before, and you know, I, I'm reluctant to call them media anymore because they're not media. They're not reporting on anything. It's simply uh, the propaganda arm of uh, the communists and the left wing, purely this country and the states. Yeah. Oh. And here's U.S. broadcaster Armstrong Williams, who was right there on the front lines of the insurrection in D.C. in conversation with Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson on her show of January 7th. We are going to speak with um, Armstrong Williams. He was there today. This is a man who broadcasts. He broadcasts daily and tells, uh, tells the news like it is. He kind of interprets the news, actually. I love him. He's a true patriot. He's an American, and he was there today. So, uh, Mr. Williams, we would like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, sir. Please tell me what your perspective is as we are watching this unbelievable unfolding here uh, in America. Well, it's really a, an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much for joining me because it's very tough what we have to do today, these days. There's so much that continues to change. You know, we started out the morning um, interviewing the protesters around 9 a.m. And you could sense their anger, their disappointment. And they wanted America to know this is not about race. This is not about gender. This is about fair and equal elections and that, that they matter, that they, that they, that they are not ignored. Um, and just pushed aside as if they don't exist. There were 75 million of them who voted president, for President Trump. And then they said something else very interesting. It's not really to them, for them to, it's about who's in the White House. It's about democracy and it's about whether the values of this country and their families are still represented and what they have to pass on to their children. You know, we met business owners, veterans, business owners whose lifestyle are being destroyed by the protocols for the COVID-19 um, while you're protecting, well, you think that you're protecting people with these draconian, draconian rules it's in places like New York and Florida, but in the process, you're destroying business and no one seems to care that they lose their way of life and what they have worked so hard to pass on to the next generation. And then we were at the, at, in front of the White House when President Trump gave his speech and I must, it must have been a half million people. I mean, it was wall to wall. It was like sardines. You could not even get through. And then we made our way back to the Capitol. And uh, when we went up to the Capitol, we, uh, the law enforcement, listen, Capitol Hill just gave up. The Capitol Hill police just gave up. And I think they made the right decision by not trying to fight the crowd, not trying to engage them, just let them just storm the barricades, storm it, go to the Capitol. Uh, and, and, you know, they, and, you know, here's the thing about it. I was there. I was in the midst of it. Uh, I was there when they fired the tear gas. When they fired the pellets, I was there, but I never felt threatened by the crowd. They kept shouting out on bullhorns. This is about peace. We're not here to destroy this place. We're not here to harm anyone. We're not here to create a reputation that we don't love America. We love our America. We love people on both sides, but we don't matter anymore. We're irrelevant. We need to be heard. We want to take back our house. And then all of a sudden, they started rattling on the Capitol door. We were at the door and all of a sudden the door opened and all these protesters went inside the Capitol and there was Capitol Hill police um, with guns drawn. There was Capitol Hill police with machine guns, but you, there were joint gun drawings. But you could also tell from the Capitol Hill police that they did not really want to shoot anyone. They did not want to harm anyone. They were very respectful in their tone. They were, and then they started dispersing tear gas all over the stairs of the uh, of the stairways of the Capitol, 
and, and so, you know, and I felt bad. I felt bad because I know the world think America is coming apart at the seams. I think they feel, since there's violence, that they wanted to unseat congressmen. They wanted to protest. They wanted to be there when they made these votes about um, certifying the election. But they, they were peaceful. And the interesting thing about it, many of these people from all over the country had their, their children, their grandchildren, their parents. I mean, it was everyday Americans. And to me, when I spoke with them, and even they attacked me saying, you're the media, you're a fake media. I said, listen, don't judge me as I don't judge you. Every media group is not the same. And every protest is not the same. And then they calmed down. They said, you have a good point. I said, I'm here. I'm here to cover it. I want to be and I want to be fair and balanced. You know, I really had empathy for them today because I could see their hearts. And then, then they started singing America the Beautiful. God bless America. And, you know, I said, you know, they're really harmless. But when people see this, they're going to paint them, paint them as thugs, trying to destroy democracy, trying to overthrow democracy. But guess what? It was none of those things. They just wanted to be heard. have another incredible guest and his name is um, Alex Newman and he is from the Liberty Sentinel. Alex, I can't believe it. Uh, so Mr. Um, Armstrong Williams had sort of a perspective. He was there. Uh, Alex, you're an American. Have you ever seen a day like this in your whole life? Never. Uh, I've, I've seen things like this uh, in third world countries where I've lived most of my life, but I never thought I would see it in America. And yet here we are. Uh, I, I think the president was right to, to ask everybody to settle down and, and to call for peace. Uh, he did point out again, this was a fraudulent election. He pointed out just a couple days ago uh, during his speech in Georgia, we're not giving up the White House to a candidate who was elected with fraud. Uh, General Mike Flynn, uh, a, a close Trump advisor, he was Trump's first national security advisor, just came out today on an, inf uh, on an interview on uh, the Alex Jones show on Infowars saying he's 100% confident Trump is going to remain in the White House. So I don't know uh, what the plan is. I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, Roger Stone has said uh, similar things. He, he indicated just a couple of days ago that the president has some sort of plan. He, he said he was not privy to what it was. So I, I do think Donald Trump uh, intends to keep fighting, but I think he was pinning a lot of hopes on Mike Pence. And I've been warning for four years now that you know if, if your plans depend on Mike Pence, you can flush him down the toilet. Uh, we're down to you know about two weeks until uh, the next inauguration is supposed to take place. And so uh, if things are going to change, now would be a really good time. Uh, I, I do think the deep state is very concerned. Uh, just a couple of days ago, you had uh, many sec former secretaries of defense signing a letter uh, asking the administration not to invoke the Insurrection Act. They said, you know, whatever you do, don't call in the, uh, the military, don't uh, involve the military in this discussion. So they're worried that Trump is going to do or consider uh, some sort of maybe extreme action like that. Bob, if we were to take apart the events of Wednesday, January 6th, there's so much that we could talk about. Let's just talk about, first of all, Trump's speech that he gave at the Ellipse. And of course, at the end of that speech, what did he say? Let's peacefully march and walk down to the Capitol building and lend our support I'm paraphrasing here in this particular case, but he did say peaceful. Uh, lend our support to those rhinos down there, those Republicans, those weak Republicans who need 
encouragement, <laughs> you yeah. know. So there was no incitement whatsoever. It was peaceful from the beginning. And later on, after the Antifa went into the Capitol building, Trump went on to Twitter in a very short video and said, look, it's time to go home peacefully, right? Stop it. Go home peacefully. What did Twitter do? And the rest of social media, they took that video down. Unconscionable. They took it down. Unconscionable. And that particular video would basically exonerate Trump from all of the allegations being slung towards him from the left and the media, and that is that he instigated and he encouraged and he incited the storming of the Capitol building, when the exact opposite, of course, was true. Now, that, of course, brings us into what eventually happened with social media and his banning from <laughs> sites that he doesn't even belong to, like Shopify and Spotify <laughs> and TikTok and Instagram. I don't even think he's on any of those. However, they all came out and said, Trump is not welcome on these sites. You know, the president of the United States, in my estimation, the best president the United States has seen in living memory. And they, they ban him. They ban his peaceful speeches. They ban his calling for peace. Um, why? Now, you have to really answer ask the question, why would they do that? And of course, we all know the answer is because it would destroy the left's narrative. It would destroy the, the narrative that the election was fair and, and Trump was uh, trying to incite riots. And that, of course, is absolutely patently false. Yeah, and don't forget, this is all part of the Great Reset and Agenda 21 and the whole, the whole big picture. You can't separate those things, you know? Um, no. I was looking here, headline in the National Post on January 7th, World Stunned by Violence in U.S. Capitol Attempts to Overturn Biden's Election. That very headline is offensive. Attempts to overturn Biden's election? Are they kidding? You know? Yeah. This is the National Post. What do they think this whole thing is about? That Biden got totally, oh man, they didn't even call the election on election night, and that was all Biden's fault. The glaring electoral fraud that we all witnessed, it's clearly the means to overturn Trump's clear election. It's just That's unbelievable. That's another issue I wanted to get to, Bob, and that is, um, when I was watching all of this, I was reminded of uh, Malcolm X's speech, uh, Ballots or Bullets, the ballot yeah. or the bullet. You've got two choices to change a government. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It could be Canada, the United States. It doesn't matter. There's only two ways to change a government, and that's by a ballot or a bullet. And what we witnessed on Wednesday, January 6th, and November 3rd, the general election, was that the ballot option is no longer available in the United States ever again, unless Trump does something. And with the ballot gone, what's left? Are they going to expect that people will simply roll over and allow the Democrats to control the United States, all three levels of government in this case? Well, two levels of government, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the uh, presidency. And of course, by extension, then the Supreme Court after judges are appointed. But are they going to allow this to happen? Because from now on, the Democrats, if nothing changes, will win every single election ever held in the United States. They have to. They control the machines that count the votes. They don't care that it's obvious that they're cheating and lying 
and their frauds, it doesn't matter because the media are on their side, the courts are on their side. Well, Robert, so, I, think, I think you've just exposed the elephant in the room. You really did. Because this is the dilemma that Trump is facing now. Going ahead with politics as usual after this election is unconscionable and immoral. You can't do it. The majority were denied their real choice in this election, and they know it. Trump was the guy who earned the electoral victory, and it was obvious right up until Election Day. I mean, we saw Biden expend zero effort, have 12 people in a parking lot, had no followers. Trump had hundreds of thousands of millions in followers, and then they use the Dominion machines. Listen, if Trump doesn't retain office, expecting that electoral system to be reformed under a Democrat government is delusional. I Absolutely. Don't, I don't see that it happening. The, it was not only delusion, it is so dangerous, because if this is not overturned, and I hope Trump does something, and he, can, he only has one option now, and I hope he employs it, and of course by the time this airs, maybe he has. Um, if he does not, then the United States, as we know it, has died. And I mean that absolutely in an in a existential sense. The United States of America, a country where the Declaration of Independence, the first words were, we the people. That's gone. Because we now it should say, we the Dominion voting machines, you know, <laughs> or we the communists, or we the, you know, uh, the un-American people, we the left. Um, because we the people is gone. And that was one of the fundamental building blocks of that society and that nation was that it wasn't the elites anymore. It wasn't King George. It wasn't the aristocracy. It was we the people. And Biden, Pelosi, and the Democrats have taken that away. And then the George Soros's and the globalists and all that are complicit because now we know that China was involved, communist China. We now know that Italy was involved. We now know that Germany was involved. And uh, so much for the Russian collusion fake news that they spent years on. Here's the real news of foreign involvement in an American election, which actually changed the presidency, if it's allowed to stand, and not a peep from the, uh, the media or the courts or the politicians or anything. It's just unfathomable that this can stand. I because, agree. like I said, for what is it, July 4th, 1776 to January 7th, actually three in the morning, January 7th of 2021, that's the length of time that the United States of America was extant, because now it's gone. And we only have one option left, and that is Trump. And with that thought in mind, Robert, I thought it most essential that we share with our listeners this portion of a January 6th interview with General Michael Flynn by Alex Jones. And I think everyone listen carefully. General Michael Flynn is here with us, former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, former National Security Advisor to President Trump, someone attacked and demonized by the globalists. You're here with us. This is unfiltered. Millions are going to watch this at this critical juncture for our republic. We really appreciate you taking time out on the eve of Trump's big speech tomorrow. Thank you so much, General, for being with us. What is your call to the American people right now? Well, my big message is that the, uh, the truth is going to come out. Donald Trump will continue to be the president of the United States for the next four years. There's no doubt in my mind. When I'm asked on a scale of one to ten, What's, what's the scale that you put that Trump will be the next president? I say 10, without a doubt. That is the truth. Everybody in this country, everybody in the world knows 
that this election on the 3rd of November was a total ripoff. It was a fraudulent election. We have had foreign interference from multiple countries. I'll rattle them off here if you want to get into that. And, uh, and Donald Trump was the clear winner. For the next four days after the 3rd of November, from about the 4th through the 7th, 8th of November, they just started stuffing the ballot boxes. And everybody knows it, and they got caught. They got caught with their hands in the proverbial cookie jar. So that's where we are. In terms of the election, what we know is that the election was won by Donald Trump that night. Approximately 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night, 80 to 90% of the precincts in nationwide Trump won hands down, hands down. And then all of a sudden we had this very, very uncertain, you know, the everything stops. We've never had that in our country, in our, in our presidential election. So five states shut down. Joe Biden goes to bed. I mean, he, he probably never came out of the basement. And so um, then what happened was they realized, they being the Democratic machine, they realized that the algorithms that they put into these Dominion machines and these what's called ESNS, which is electronic security systems, 95% of the of the electronic voting done in this country is done by those two systems, Dominion and ESNS. Okay? The majority of people in this country don't even realize that. Those machines are are and the companies behind them are partially owned by the Chinese Communist Party. The Communist Chinese Party paid $200 million in 2014 to Dominion, and they, and they paid in October, I believe it was October of 2020, another $400 million put into this company. So, so we have, we have uh, clear evidence of a foreign interference, which is all the, the, uh, the president's um, uh, executive order describes, in, in the, that's the executive order from 2018. He reinstituted it in 2019. He reinstituted it again in 2020. And so we are essentially in a national emergency that the president has already declared. He just has to decide whether to execute some of those procedures that, that, uh, that are within, well within his authority. So we have uh, foreign interference from China. We have foreign interference from Serbia. We have foreign interference from Italy, from uh, Spain, from Germany. And then on the, on the 30th of October, 2020, so a couple of days before the, the, the 3rd of November election, and then on the 3rd of November, the FBI and CISA, which is that guy Krebs, right? Krebs, who came out and said, hey, there's no foreign interference at all about a week after the election. CISA is a Homeland Security cybersecurity agency. On the 30th of October, 2020, and on the 3rd of November, both in, a, in what's called a joint intelligence advisory, the FBI and CISA issued an advisory saying that Iran is mucking around in our, in our election system. They were doing it on the 3rd of November, which is the day of the election. The FBI and the, and the Department of Homeland Security both said there's foreign interference in our election on Election Day by the country of Iran. So for anybody to say that we haven't had foreign interference is, is full of it. There's, there is our U.S. government agencies, whether you want to trust the FBI or not. I, I have my, my doubts about the FBI. The system moved heaven and earth to falsely indict you to keep you from giving Trump good, patriotic, yeah. pro-American advice yeah. because you were somebody that believed in America and you were not a traitor. So now they've tried to silence you. They failed. You've come through the fire as a phoenix. What is your advice right now to President Trump and the American people 
regardless of what happens in the next 15 days. The amount of corruption that we are now seeing that has been exposed by this election is outrageous. It's, it's despicable. And what about Donald Trump? Uh, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, I think the guy's terrific. He's been a great president. He's basically tried to follow. He's tried to he, he has tried to meet every promise that he has stated. But I don't really care about Donald Trump I agree. at this stage. At this stage, it's not about him anymore. This is about the presidency of this country. This is about the constitution of this country. It's the last administration that lied to him. And the last administration set him up through, through a variety of little deceitful you know, plays that they had in this little game that they're playing, which is a big game. And it's all about access to power and, uh, and basically ruling this country. So Donald Trump coming into the presidency the last go around, he, I don't believe he realized that it was this bad. But it's this bad. He it's said bad. that. He said, I can't Ru believe it's this Russia bad. Gate was false. The impeachment was false. You know, I, we won't get into a conversation about COVID. Maybe we'll talk about that another time. No, get time. into it right now. But, but the whole, this whole I thing. I think I'll leave it in 10 minutes, but to finish, tell us. Well, if I, if I walk out the door, I got to put my mask on because apparently the door blocks COVID. But I got to put my mask on if I walk out the door. But if I sit down today with you here, I don't have to wear my mask. So there's something weird about it. At 10 o'clock at night in the restaurants that I go to, the restaurants close at 10 o'clock. Why? Because COVID comes out at 10 o'clock? I mean, the stupidity. It's all. It's about arbitrary power. It's huge arbitrary power. And and I think that when we look back, because in the next four years, Trump is going to continue to be the president. So what priorities does he set to to really take a hard look at, you know, in addition to uh, making sure that the world stays peaceful, but also uh, creating an economy that we're all, you know, and by the way, General Flynn. I've not been in the military like you, not highly decorated like you, and I get you're in a war, you got to wave the flag to get people to like fight, right. or, or if they collapse, we're going to lose. And I agree, Trump won by two, three, four, five margins. He, he barely won those battleground states. Trump by, probably got somewhere between 350 and 400 electoral college votes. Exactly. No kidding. It was a massive landslide because when they froze the votes that night on, on I guess, going in the morning of November 4th, he he wasn't winning by half a point like he won last time. It was three, four, five, six points. That's right. So I get what you're saying, but regardless, they are selling this giant fraud. They're selling this huge takeover. And so for me, when you talk about Trump as our president, you're right. Alex, he did they're win. censoring. They're censoring the president of the United States of America. I mean. Who does, what country does Senate, that? Senate hearings what on election fraud are censored. I agree. That's not, that's not, that's not even censorship. That's we don't cartel. Know, this, is, this is embarrassing. No, I totally agree with you. And under the U.S. law, under the State Department, under the U.N., if they're not poll watchers, if there's not, you, you redo the election. So, so what do you think President Trump should do? What should we, the people, do with 15 days out from this communist Chinese agent, Joe Biden, trying to install? The courts are not what is going to win this thing. Three branches, co-equal, legislative. Okay, so let's talk about that because I know I know the direction you're going to go. This well, my is, point is this is super important. We do we have three co-equal branches of government. Okay, but if you read the Constitution, there's one person that gets voted on by the majority of people in this country. President. That's the president of the United States. He's when the, the leader. When the president puts his hand on the Bible. When he takes his oath of office, there's only one person in this country that takes that oath of office. So you have three co-equal branches, but the president is actually, he's not, he's not a branch. He is a, he is a person voted on by the majority of, the, of this country and the, 
It's not by happenstance that the oath of office that the President of the United States takes, if you go back and you look at the Founding Fathers and the arguments that they had, actually, and for those that, that want to dig into it, it's Federalist Paper number 73. And you look at it as to why they chose those words. Because the President of the United States has a responsibility to protect the Constitution. Everybody else can, can scream about it. The, the, the courts can say, ah, we're not going to do anything about it like the, like the Supreme Court did. But the President has the responsibility, the duty, and the authority to act. And it's above the others because there's something called national security. And national security, for all intents and purposes, is the responsibility of one person. And that's the United States president. And that's the will at the moment of the attack. Exactly. That's why the president has the new codes because you can't have Congress have a vote. And everybody around the president tells him is trying to tell him what to do. Everybody is trying to tell him what to do. And the president has to stand there in his own boots like like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or 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 other presidents that we've had in our history who have had to make incredibly, incredibly difficult decisions. He is in, a, in one of those moments. I call it a crucible moment in the history of this country. Unprecedented. Donald Trump is standing in those shoes and he's standing in those shoes by himself. This president's going to continue on in office. They do not want that to happen. They're going to try every damn thing that they can. If we if we allow a lie to take us into our future, we will never have uh, the constitutional republic that we have right now. Look at what they did to the president of the United States, and they're still doing to him. This is this uh, this fraudulent election is only it's it's basically another stage in this effort to get rid of to, to get rid of somebody who stepped in their way and got in their way to take power from them for a period of time. They want power back. These institutions of government, these institutions of power, it, it has been going on for a long time, Alex, and you could say, well, we've had these kind of examples for a long time, and that's true, that's true, but all of a sudden, it's, it's now been exposed in such a way, and there's a takeover of our country by these institutions and by the by these powers outside of our country. They've sold us out to China and others. It's terrible. They think they own us. We're saying, no, you don't own us. You, you don't own us. There's a, there's a DNA in the American psyche and in the American culture that still exists, and that DNA goes all the way back to 1776. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world on shortwave and online. And that clip from General Flynn is quite revealing. Isn't it? Because it, it talks about the immensity, the enormity of the process that went into what happened on um, November 3rd with the election and, of course, culminating on January 6th. And that is that this has been a concerted effort by a lot of elites all over the world over many, many years um, to make sure that the United States... Um, is no longer a free nation and that that democracy, that republic has been destroyed and they are on the verge of succeeding. But, you know, something that bothered me watching all of this, well, first of all, we owe social media, things like Twitter, Facebook, etc., and uh, just the internet in general, for being able to say what we're saying today, Bob, because can you imagine if it didn't exist, we'd all believe that Trump was a a madman, you know, we would all believe that he's a madman, as a lot of people do, because all they watch are the, what are called now the legacy media, mainstream media. But because we have Twitter, 
because we have Parlay, because we have Facebook and Gab and all the other social media sites and people are sharing things that aren't being covered by the mainstream media, then we know what's really going on. And we can cross-check it and we can fact-check it. And we become so, we've become such a tuned-in, educated society now because of these sites that I have to say that I'm a little dismayed to hear a lot of people, especially uh, so-called conservatives and some objectivists even, calling for the nationalization of Facebook and Twitter and, and the like, when all you have to do is simply just attack them for their political stance and not for the fact that they can um, block the President of the United States from posting on their sites. As a matter of fact, Yaron Brook came out, I think it was today or yesterday, whatever, who said that, I'm thankful that I can live in a country where a private organization like Twitter can ban the president. Because if you go to any other country in the world, almost, um, if the leader wants to speak, then he will be heard. And he will commandeer the media and make sure that he's heard. While the United States is still, in a lot of respects, a free country where a man like um, Jack Dorsey can set up a, uh, an app called Twitter and where people can share on it and if he doesn't like what he hears, I mean, it's his site. He can yeah, shut the yeah, president down I, if he wants. I only agree with you to a point on that, and that is at the point when they open the door. And that means when you're invited in to participate on there, I mean, to, to censor the president, that is unconscionable because they've already allowed him to speak and to do it at such a critical time. This, is, this has been used as a weapon, not as a mere exercise of someone's right to censor someone because they don't agree with their opinion. If that's how you well, what are... what would you do? You say what that... What would you do? Would you nationalize Twitter? No. Would you uh, arrest Jack Dorsey for banning Trump? No. What would you do? I'd sue them. Like many people okay, do. Okay, so sue them. So that's, Great, exactly. That is the legitimate thing that has to happen. When Jack Dorsey but, comes but, out and uh, Twitter comes out and says that Trump incited a riot, that is actionable speech. I agree. And Trump should sue him. Now, not mind you, that, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that, Bob. And I think we're in total agreement. Trump should sue Twitter and, well, and but, whoever owns Twitter, but for, for saying that he incited a riot. But absolutely no, they should not be... Um, nationalized. You know, nationalized or taken over or further regulated. Um, that's absolute nonsense. Well, the thing is, they're regulated now. And the regulations that they enjoy offer them protection from the kinds of things that like people should be able to sue them. There's always been that issue, are they a publisher or a platform? And they, they presented themselves as a platform. And therefore, they're guilty of fraud when they kick somebody off. But to do it now, in the middle of a political thing, that was a political action they took. That's beyond, oh, sure. That is beyond the pale. That's beyond no, contract. No, I disagree. The thing about the United States, or even any free country, is that people are allowed to disagree. Jack Dorsey and Twitter disagrees with Donald Trump and the Republicans and freedom and capitalism. He's a Marxist. That's obvious. He's a, he's a communist, and he's free to express those views or not. And it's his site if he doesn't want any Republicans on there, any conservatives, any Donald Trump. That's his, that's his option. You know, but 
Um, yeah, as far but, as but, platform but, but versus it, publisher goes, I mean, they're not really publishing a lot there. I mean, sure, they are publishing, but that's a that's a debatable point, and I'd like to see it brought towards, um, you know, the politician, the proper format to see whether or not 230 should be overruled when it comes to Twitter. But I don't think it should. You can't you can't regulate what's said on Twitter or Facebook or any of those other platforms because you're talking about billions of posts every day. How in the world are you supposed to say that what goes on on Twitter is actionable unless it's by a single person telling another, per, you know, uh, yes. slandering somebody else? Right, it's by the person who takes the action. That's the main right. point. But, that, but, but that, those avenues have been cut off because of current regulation. You know, and this is the thing. In the current situation, you and I, we're, we're, we're targets of all of this censorship, okay? True. And now they're even talking about deplatforming URLs. I mean, are you going to tell me that's okay? Well, th- now you're getting involved into the architecture of the Internet. And the universal resource locators, which direct anybody to any particular website... Um, no, I don't necessarily think that's okay unless, of course, they are violating the law. Well, that's always the case. Well, I'm just saying that there's absolutely no need or right or moral authority to say that anybody should ban Twitter or just nationalize Twitter or Facebook or whatever um, because there's always alternatives. It's like Henry Ford. When Henry Ford said, you can buy a Ford in any color you like as long as it's black, that <laughs> yeah. was the day General Motors was born. <laughs> yeah, of course, though, you're, you're responding to arguments being made by certain people in the public and, and so, some people on the right, not us. Um, regulating no. content has never been, you know, never been part of free speech ever under any circumstance. But listen, you know, Trump has to deal with this now, and everybody thinks he's gone, right? Now, that's the big question going forward. Is he gone or is he not? I've got an interesting story here. This is from the Natural News, and the, and the headline reads, Trump did not concede. Subheading, Lynn Wood explains many traders to be arrested shortly. Final list of confirmed traders acquired last night during congressional vote. And this was written on January 7th by Mike Adams. And just to get to the crux of it, Quote, Trump did not concede, and the transition of power, quote-unquote, does not necessarily mean a transition to Biden. Under the cover of night, the treasonous U.S. Congress voted to install CCP puppet Joe Biden into the White House, confirming his fraudulent slate of electors as accepted. A few hours later, Trump issued a statement about a transition of power. And then they quote the statement. And he says the statement is widely being interpreted by the media to be a concession statement from the president. However, it is no such thing. Trump did not concede at all. He did not congratulate Joe Biden, and he did not say he would leave the White House. More importantly, Trump did not specify what the orderly transition means. He didn't say there would be a transition to Biden being installed as president. He might be referring to the transition of America away from the tyranny of the deep state and the return of power to the people. Trump's statement seems to be designed to disarm those calling for his immediate removal under the 25th Amendment. Many traders will be arrested and jailed over the next several days, wrote attorney Lynn Wood in a parlor tweet he issued during the early morning hours after Congress completed its final act of betrayal. He also retweeted another statement from Parler using at storm is upon us, who explained, sleep well tonight, patriots, the constitutional process played out till the end, and Trump didn't interfere once. You're going to love how this movie ends. 
Trump's proclamation to disperse is a necessary legal step before invoking the Insurrection Act. Yesterday, Trump released a video that contained a proclamation to disperse. This was the video in which he told everyone to go home in peace. This statement, it turns out, is a necessary step to invoke the militia or U.S. armed forces to defend the republic. Section 254 of the USC is called the Proclamation to Disperse, and it explains, whenever the president considers it necessary to use the militia or the armed forces under this chapter, he shall, by proclamation, immediately order the insurgents to disperse and retire peaceably to their abodes within a limited time. And that is exactly what Trump did. He then boarded Air Force One and flew to a military base in Texas. Now Trump is likely preparing to invoke the Insurrection Act or some other form of military authority to conduct mass arrests of the traitors who have betrayed the nation. End quote. Now that's, uh, that's scary stuff there, isn't it, Robert? Oh no, it's hopeful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know what you mean, but you can see the fear in all the reactions to Trump, right? Oh yes. I mean, this is an all-or-none game. If Trump goes ahead and does the Insurrection Act and starts these arrests, you're looking at people who will probably be suicided, um, probably spend the rest of their lives in jail for all of the information that uh, Trump has on them. And General Flynn alluded to that in um, his interview with Alex Jones, that there's a lot of stuff that um, is not being said out there that um, I think Trump is privy to. And um, there's a lot of ammunition, and this is an all-or-none game, and you're looking at a lot of powerful people being toppled if Trump does what I hope he does. Yeah, and in fact, that's how this fellow concluded the article, and I'll just quote those few sentences. Quote, the only question now is, will Trump pull the trigger and unleash the military arrests? Note that Trump does not have the loyalty of the U.S. Army nor many top generals. He doesn't need that. Trump has Chris Miller at the DOD, and he, he has the loyalty of Special Operations Forces Command, along with Space Force, the Air Force, and most of the U.S. Marines. That's all he needs. God, that sounds like a lot. Trump has decided early on that he would not act until every civil option was exhausted. Trump has not succeeded. America is not yet lost, although it is admittedly very close to the tipping point. But sometimes in history... The most dramatic outcomes of truth and light can only come after the most dire suffering through darkness. Today is America's darkest day, but it may be yet followed by victory. Again, he refers to the darkest day. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So Pearl Harbor was um, a a walk in the park, I guess. Or the Civil War was a sunny day, yeah, compared to... (laughs) Compared to somebody running off with Speaker's Pelosi lectern. You know? Well, you know, you, you could look at it that way. Um, but if you look at the dark day as being what the left did, you know what I'm saying? Ah, and, yes, indeed. And in that, that way... That would be the darkest day because, is it, like I said, the end of the United States. So, in fact, you're correct. Yeah. That would be the darkest day of American history, and is that is its demise. And all of these censorship attempts and bringing down all these people, it reminds me of that poster that we saw very early on in the campaign where Trump is sitting looking at people straight in the eye and it reads, in reality, they're not after me, they're after you. I'm just in the way. (laughs) That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Good evening, government property. 
The Capitol has been stormed, the Georgia Senate runoff election results are in, and the Electoral College has certified the election. We'll tell you what you think about all these things and more. At the Capitol, as Congress convened to certify votes, hundreds of thousands of Trump supporters gathered so the mainstream media could call them all racists. And their secondary reason for traveling to the nation's capital is because they're crazy enough to think something fishy was going on in this year's election. And the most disturbing part of this story that we command you to believe is that President Trump was personally inciting these protesters to violence. So much so that Twitter removed a video Trump posted where he said to his supporters at the Capitol, you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have the video of Trump's words destroying our narrative about him. <laughs> oh yeah, so we're not playing the video, right? Duh, of course not. You know that over the last 24 hours, Twitter specifically, has banned a number of different conservative accounts, not just the president. At the same time, the Chinese Communist Party, the Ayatollah of Iran, still have their accounts because they're not a threat to the ruling party here. Tonight, a competing social media service, Parler, which we told you about, is seeing a massive and unprecedented surge in traffic. The site even experienced server outage because of new users tonight. Why? A couple of reasons. Mostly this, Parler is a free speech alternative to Twitter. They don't censor you, you can say what you want. The president is on Parler, and that has drawn a lot of people who realize they are being suppressed by Twitter. Parler's succeeding. What happens now? Of course, Silicon Valley is trying to kill it. Google has just removed Parler without any warning from its app store. Apple and Amazon, which provide services that keep, Parler, keep services like Parler online, have also threatened to shut Parler down. Amy Peacock, Peacock is the chief policy advisor at Parler, and she joins us today. Amy, thanks so much for coming on. This seemed to come out of nowhere. How big a threat to your company is this? I mean, this is very huge because Apple in particular carries our app on the App Store. And as far as I know, technically, there's no other way to deliver it. So if they choose to withdraw their services and hosting us on their store, we're toast there, and, and you know, most people like our app. Our, our app is a, a very nicely functioning uh, piece of software. And then in terms of Amazon, Amazon is also uh, raising some problems, and I'm not sure how serious that is yet because I've yet to speak with them. I will later today. And, it, they, you know, they provide server for us, and if they were to remove their services, then we'd be down. As it is, we're having, you know, some difficulties now with the uptick in uh, traffic, but if they took their service away, we'd be gone. I mean, there is a huge amount, it's impossible to overstate the amount of filth and political extremism, explicit violence, pornography, whatever, on the internet. That's what the internet is. But yes. it's parlor. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere. But yes. it's parlor that is being singled out. I mean, it's kind of impossible not to conclude this is political repression. We do have the reputation as being the conservative platform, although we are nonpartisan, that is what everybody sees us as. We do see this as being politically singled out. The other thing is that we are competing with other platforms who have decided that they want to surveil the people on their platform 24-7 without any particularized suspicion. And, you know, on the one hand, people don't like 
to live in the world of Orwell's 1984. And then on the other hand, a lot of people seem to want to pressure social media to do more to moderate, as they call it, content on their platforms. But that would require 24-hour surveillance. And we don't think that that is consistent with the principles of America. Amy Peacock, of course, is representing Parlay, or Parler, however you want to pronounce it. Parler was started by a fellow named John Matz, uh, Jr. And uh, if you just go to Wikipedia to see what they say about um, Parler, again, Wikipedia has fallen for the uh, left-wing line by basically saying that Parler is a hive of right-wing conspiracy theorists and all that, when (laughs) nothing could be further from the truth, of course. Um, again, it's an upside-down, bizarro world. What are you talking about? Uh, what are you talking about? You've got an account there, don't you? <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Uh, yes, I do. Um, at Robert Vaughn, anybody want to follow me? <laughs> but um, no, and Trump is looking, I think Trump set up an account there. Somebody said that uh, he set up an account there. Um, well, why not? It's an alternative place to uh, put your thoughts out there online, and I'm finding it to be quite a good place to be. Maybe it's an echo chamber. I I guess it really is. But then again, so is Twitter. Twitter's a bit of an echo chamber. All depends on who you're following. You you know, that Um, that whole thing about echo chamber, I really find it's only the left that's in the echo chamber, not the right. The left never hears about what we have to say. The right hears everything the left has to say. They go to the trouble to go to the left all their websites and play this stuff and then laugh at it, right? Good point. Excellent point, Bob. You're right. And that's what we do on the show all the time. It, it infuriates me. I'll, I'll play Doug Ford for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then come yes. back. Nobody can come and say that we're not listening to the other side. That is another part of the propaganda BS. It's all. I remember when we got kicked off of CHRW yeah. at um, Radio Western, the uh, station manager... Uh, accused us of being too one-sided and then in that very same show we played clips from um, our political opponents yes. Justin Trudeau I think at the time Absolutely. you know and, and clips from from our side and, and, uh, and ironically ironically Robert I think you played a clip where you had the two sides of the objectivist camp arguing with each other you had the peacock side against the uh, uh, oh yes the Yaron Brook side, right? That's right. We were talking about immigration, and there was a debate between Leonard Peikoff, um, who's the intellectual heir of Ayn Rand, and Yaron Brook, right. who was the uh, um, head of the Ayn Rand Institute, and both of them disagreed. Yaron Brook saying open immigration, basically, and uh, Peikoff saying absolutely not. Yeah. And I, of course, and we're, of course, on the Leonard Peikoff side, but uh, yeah, so it was balanced, and yet here's basically the left, you're absolutely right. They have no idea what. Uh, we're saying out there because they're in this echo chamber of their own with the mainstream media. And um, we, what we do on the right, so-called, is we take what the left says and analyze it and compare it to, to, to the truth and to reality and to what the situation actually is. So we have to know both sides of the uh, argument. Precisely. And, you know, I'm looking at this. You just alerted me recently to um, Dave Cullen being kicked off of YouTube, for example. Yeah, computing uh, forever, yeah. And Glenn Beck was really lamenting, figuring that uh, he's he's going to be taken off soon, too. And he's concerned about all the efforts being done to destroy one of his Blaze TV reporters. 
My goodness, how many other people have been canned fr from this whole thing? I, I was kicked off Twitter for a little bit when I told Justin Trudeau to learn how to code. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it, Robert, it's just funny sometimes. Yeah, it's it's funny. So, anyways, this is from uh, a site called Vox Populi, not Vox Populi, dated January 9th, twenty twenty-one. Headed, they chose the hard way. And I'm just going to quote from this because this is really an insightful piece, I think. Quote, Twitter didn't just nuke at real Donald Trump today. They nuked the top 35% of his most influential users, followers, and thought leaders. Why did they take the dramatic and unprecedented step of doing this so suddenly to perfectly rule-abiding users? Because of what you could do when working together. Your power to circulate information is unsurpassed in the world. You break media narratives with just a few clicks. Collectively, you're a massive threat to their panopticon system of control. But they didn't do this just to twist a proverbial knife. No, Trump is readying something, something devastating, something they don't want the average person to understand or have swirling about in their faces. Trump is preparing to unilaterally declassify swaths of intelligence that will be so damning it will expose the core of the uniparty charade and prove what traitors they really are. They nuked you all today to try and contain what they know is coming. It's the same reason they're suddenly panicking and trying to impeach and invoke the 25th. They know what kind of damage he can wreak on their little plans. But here's the thing now. Trump has a duty to defend the country against enemies both foreign and domestic. I'm convinced that in order to do so, Trump will hand off the presidency to a military tribunal as a result of what has now emerged. When the tribunals are over, they will hand the presidency back to Trump, as we all know he was the rightful, truthful winner. They're terrified, and this is why they're rushing to cross red line after red line after committing to the fraud they all knew was fraud on the night and into the wee hours of the morning of the 6th and 7th. They sealed their fate with that certification. Nothing else explains everything we're seeing so far. The panic, the scramble, the utter fear in their eyes. Because nothing can stop what's coming. Nothing. And they're all about to learn that the hard way, end quote. Yeah, well, I agree with most of what he just said there, but that speculation about this military tribunal, tribunal yep. Trump is very much a constitutionalist, yep. and he's faithful to it, and nowhere in the Constitution do I see anything about handing over the presidency to a military tribunal. I don't know if that's how it works or not, but how, how he can even work with the military is kind of a mystery to me. Anything else to add, Robert? No, other than the fact, like as I said at the beginning of the show, ballots are bullets. Yep. Um, the, the United States is at a crossroad. This next few days before January 20th is a make or break for that great nation. They either uh, embrace Trump and what he may or may not do in the next few days, or they are dead. The United States rest in peace. Yeah. Well, fortunately, our listeners don't have to quote-unquote learn the hard way. Because they can learn the easy way, whatever way that might be, by joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright.
<sighs> Everything is ruined. My career's over. I've no goal, no hope, no life. Yeah, but how come that starts to get you down now? <laughs> Maybe you hadn't noticed, but we're going to spend the next two years in the brig. Two years with the scum of the universe, hardened criminals, deranged droids. People so unbalanced and debauched they couldn't even get elected as President of the United States. 